This is an AMI podcast. I'm Kelly McDonald. I'm Ramia Amadin, and this is Kelly and Ramia. Live from the Accessible Media Studios, this is Kelly and Ramya. Entertainment, lifestyle, and great conversation. It's AMI's on-air community, and everyone's invited. Well, we're starting off a short week, and maybe with some unfamiliar people. I'm talking about myself, of course. Ramya, oh, excuse me, who are you? <laughs> Exactly. Do you even recognize me? Kelly McDonald. No, there was this fantastic Hardy guy that showed up and took over uh, last Tuesday and Thursday. I wondered if there was a job opening. So grateful. Yeah, you know how we do uh, things under the table around here. But uh, yeah, but no, mm -hmm. you're back. I'm back. Well, thanks. Thanks. Yeah. So basic. That was a little um, underwhelming, I know. Yeah, a little less than underwhelming, whatever that is on the spectrum. But it's nice to have you back, I guess, because you've been holding down the fort for a while. So, and it's been over a week since I've been back, and I've, I've just been like, I can't even recognize my chair anymore. I couldn't well, center myself. Well, they call myself. that being convenient. This is convenient <laughs> sickness because you were away from a Friday to another Friday, and then you I had the say that. Uh, Let's get family it all out of the day way. of rest. Yeah. yeah, I figured. We yeah. got still about six minutes. I can go on. <laughs> yeah. But so anyways, anyway. from that to poetry, um, I wanted to ask you right off the top, because remember I told you a, a while back now, I guess, that I found a bunch of my old stuff, old writing, old audio, old video, home footage that I never want to see again or hear again. But uh, poetry was a bunch of stuff that I did find of my my old writing. And I wondered if you write poetry, Kels. I'm thinking of all that old stuff you've got that would make good I, content when we have yeah. open segments. That's too um, bad. No, I, I only wrote it for school. It, I, I didn't think I was a great poet, poet when I did it. Um, so, I, I mean, limericks, I could mess around a little bit with that. But mm. no, I, I certainly don't have any collection that I would have shared even if I had it. Uh, there wasn't enough of it. There wasn't enough of it. Yeah, you kept no. saying rhyming, but you know, poetry doesn't have to rhyme, Kels. Oh no, that we'll was one of the things poetry. I learned. I thought I'd be, I thought I'd be better at it because it didn't have to rhyme. Right? No, I stuck to the <laughs> rhyming and five lines only. We are our own worst critic. You know, if you bring it on the show, though, the rest of us will tell you if we like oh, yeah. poetry. Well, sure. it's either laughter or people's getting sick. Mm -mm -mm. That's, that's terrible. How about you? So <laughs> the stuff you found, yeah. did you actually write poetry for? Fun for school. What was the reason? I just enjoyed writing poetry. Apparently, this is just one of the nice. forms of writing that I enjoyed. And uh, yes, for school as well, I took some creative writing when I was in nice. um, high school. And we really enjoyed the teacher and then enjoyed the, the class because of it, right? So, yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. Mm -hmm. I think it's great when you find something like that and can play around with it. it. It really is neat. And people writing poetry, it's, I mean, some people think, oh, well, that's just neat. Just find some words that rhyme and stuff like that. But you know there's a lot more, especially when you're speaking through your poetry. Yes, exactly. Well, let's find out what we have coming up on today's show because we do have a lot more coming up than just poetry talk. That is unless Kelly decides he's going to share some of his poetry that he saved Thank for us. Thank goodness. Aww. Oh, gosh. The difference between fragrant sensitivities and fragrant al uh, allergies. Francis Wong on our wellness segment is going to talk more about that. Man, we have a treat for you a little later on in hour one here, folks. Canada's accessibility officer, Stephanie Cadu, uh, just released her first report called Everyone's Business, which highlights the strides we've made before a barrier-free Canada. So what she's going to do is walk us through where we are and how far we have to go. Mm-hmm, that's important. Also, on our monthly Voices segment, which falls today on the third Tuesday of the month, we're joined by guide dog and service animal
Animal reporter Devin Wilkins to find out about her passions. We call it the soapbox talk. Well, that's what I started calling it. Um, here's something <laughs> here's something interesting and intriguing for me. A jet stream, a jet stream has made for some quick Atlantic crossings for some travelers. Let's find out why. With the jet stream hitting just right over the route that planes take to go from the east coast of the U.S. to Europe, it's been a quick ride. On Saturday, a Virgin Atlantic flight from Washington, D.C. to London hit a peak speed of 802 miles an hour, landing 45 minutes early. A United flight went 838 miles per hour, arriving early. And while, yes, it does sound like they broke the sound barrier, they did not. Those numbers are ground speed, combining the plane speed and the wind, not the air speed of the planes, which was still normal with the planes were actually flying under their own power alex stone ebc news thanks alex for those of us who took it way too far he's like no it didn't break the sound barrier but pretty wild right and i was um thinking <laughs> i about... like his breakdown at the end i was <laughs> just gonna say to you you already got that now rum <laughs> exactly oh that's disappointing but no it, it is pretty wild to think 45 minutes ahead of time because of the way that it works right and the atmosphere um but i always Every time I go to Vancouver from Toronto and come back, and you know that it's a faster ride coming back, every time I'm still like, but this is so cool. And, um, you know, I never actually research the ins and outs of it or why or altitude, but, Kelly, it's just cool on a very basic Not level. even when you were doing uh, weather on, on, no. on the afternoon No, show. not during the national broadcast. You didn't become a meteorologist cities. then? Wow. <laughs> no. um, I love it because it, it, it is neat, but then you think it's the other way too when you're going mm. to what's holding the plane back enough, right? What's using more fuel? What makes your ticket cost more? You know, any of those kinds of things versus <laughs> how come it doesn't balance back that if they're using less fuel and the plane's being shoved along, how come my ticket doesn't reflect that? And they would say, oh, yes, it does. All right. Us. Does it? You know, yeah. What would we know, right? But it is really fascinating as we think about the way movement of winds, storms, whatever it might be, air fronts or uh, weather fronts, everything in, in the world. Uh, and it makes sense, obviously. It's a planet. There's things happening. And there's got to be a direction things have to go. Uh, and when we throw those things up in the air, wow. But to think of over 800 miles, you think, wow, you're moving that fast? Is, does that do anything to the plane? Is it is the plane built for that speed and you know yeah but like alex points out yeah, yeah but really the plane's using the energy that is to use at 400 miles an hour <laughs> i guess i guess i never even thought about it that way does it actually do anything to the to Presses. the aerodynamics yeah to to understand wait what did you say the stressors? Oh, the stressors. Okay, yes. It, yeah, the stressors on the body on, of the plane. Mm -hmm, exactly. On and the structure. Does on the superstructure. Does it have to, <laughs> do we have to consider any, or not us, but the people in charge have to consider any of that, the engineering and such. But um, it's interesting to kind of hear about it in this capacity, like pop news, right? So Yeah, yeah. And I think the way Alex explains it, no, they don't. I don't, I don't really think it translates the way we would think as if it was, you know, it's you just being a faster journey, of, quite literally. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's just moving at a speed that is conducive with the with the with the air layers, everything like that. So I don't think there's the stress or feeling of anything or or distance really. It's just, right. It is moving faster, you know, to, to nail it down. But I, I don't think it's the same as we would imagine it on the ground. But I do like your idea of ticket prices fluctuating based on this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine? Yeah. yeah. I know, right. it would never happen. This has gone on for years, and I'm sure everyone, <laughs> even in the 1960s, was saying, well, if we know about this, how come? It does. It, it, it does affect it. Right, thanks. Sure it does. Thank you.
From, straight from Kelly. After the break, uh, we're going to get headlines with Grant Hardy. And I guess it's because we missed him yesterday, huh? No. It's because Dr. Danielle Johnkind, who usually joins us, our veterinarian, can't make it today. But we're talking about uh, rural and remote doctors burning out. What will it take to help this community of people and medical professionals? We'll find out with Grant Hardy after the break on Kelly and Ramia. Don't miss a minute. Kelly and Ramya will be right back. I did something terrible and started playing with the voiceover voices uh, during the break. Just the ones that are available on the uh, shorthand rotor, I guess, on the Mac. And, ooh, I don't even know who I picked now. Anyways, um, I think it's a Daniel. Some of them are really bad, though. Oh, I don't <laughs> love Daniel's voice. Some of them are even English. It's not great. Or it's like yeah. not... Oh, no. It's oh, no, not, they're not. They're not uh, audible. I don't know what Maybe I'm saying here. You'll get Afrikaans on legible? there. You're... It's not... No, no, not, not, no, no, they're not... No, they're literally not... They just, they're English, but they sound so robotic that you can't tell what they're saying. Some of them also have a little muffledness. Yes. For some reason, so you... Some of them are metallic sounding. Yep. Like, really robotic, you know? Yeah, that's why they want you to download ones. Yeah. Uh, the one yeah. that I'm looking for, male Alex, is just not here, so, well. No, you have to download him, and you have oh, to figure out which one you a, want. Where? Oh, is he a bonus? Uh, yeah, the one that you want, I think, is that's what I have to do, and I'm trying to remember where you find him, because I think mm. he's... There's the UK version. But, yep. oh, I find him under the Siri Daniel. voices, I believe. Siri I think voices, I find him under the Siri voices. Right. You're right. This is a long time since I've explored this, but I'm sure someone sitting in the, high, uh, the sidelines right now is like, I know where to find him. Uh, we're yeah, bringing on... Bringing on. Hmm? This guy you're bringing on will know. He's sitting there already telling you. Exactly. Grant Hardy, he's joining us for a bonus headlines producer on the show, of course, and filling in uh, as we usually have Dr. Danielle Johnkinder, veterinarian, joining us at this time on Tuesdays, but she's not available. So, Grant, you're here with headlines. Um, do you switch around your voices often for a screen reader absolutely don't i use uh eloquence which is a voice that's been around actually since the mid 1990s yeah. i believe and i use that on my um on my mac my pc and my iphone now uniform because wasn't that originally the jaws yep. fancy yep. voice yep. right mm -hmm. and, and isn't then, it kind of recent that? that they brought it onto the mac it was like a big deal like yeah. we're yeah. now yeah. bringing on eloquence Just Hooray. Yeah. I will tell you, though, that if you explore the voice settings on the Mac and the iPhone, there are all sorts of little novelty voices that I think have literally been around since, like, the 1980s or something or early 90s. There's one well, that actually... Yeah, because a bunch of them were on the... Um, a bunch of them were on the open book machines in that, right? The... What was it called? The scanner when you'd use the the old scanner and you'd you'd do them before they became an actual program. Um, Kurzweil. God, what the heck were they called? Kurzweil. Thank you. Yeah. They were the the old reading machines. A lot of them were on there. Like Dr. Dennis and those guys were all on there. Mm. Yes. But, do you remember that one, Grant? Do you remember that one, Grant? The reading voice is Dr. Dennis, and he <laughs> so. he had a grin. <laughs> I love that. That was great. You said one of them <laughs> sings. I yeah, there's go find literally, that yeah, there's literally, I can't remember the name. It's under novelty. Okay. Like, literally oh, wow. everything you read, it will sing it out to you. Excellent. And there are a bunch of other ones to try. Weird Can you imagine if she started that. using that in her ear while yes. doing the show and all of a sudden, coming up next is. Yep. You know how uh, we love to just verbatim the way that our voices say our things in our script. So 
Mm, oh, for mm, sure. Give, for sure. Give that a shot on April Fool's. <laughs> Look at Grant already grinning. He's waiting. He'll be stuck <laughs> listening. Yeah, I think you find it here, Rummy. He'll send you a link later. <laughs> right, it's man. easy to change but, it back, Rummy. Don't worry. Yeah, yeah. Right. Do this no, we'll, 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 the show. I don't trust either it's of the you guys. It's the cruel side of Grant Hardy. <laughs> 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 Folks, we, we've got a little bit more of a sobering subject here. Talking about doctors in rural areas, as Rami um, just mentioned, uh, it turns out almost 20% of Canadians live in rural, remote, Indigenous, coastal, or northern communities. However, only 8% of physicians practice in non-urban areas of Canada. And apparently there are quite a few reasons for this we always hear about this sort of from the patient side of things you know what i mean i tend to side a a little bit with the patient aspect of it uh, but apparently it's actually can be very difficult for doctors in remote areas both Mm -hmm. from a financial mm -hmm, yeah from a financial standpoint especially uh, apparently a lot of doctors in uh, remote areas literally utilize their own bank accounts and their own sort of free overtime hours to keep their businesses, uh, their practices rather going, uh, including arriving at the office, you know, early in the morning, staying late. And they also cite challenges such as obviously not meeting their own needs and the needs of their family as they uh, progress in their career and it being difficult to shut down, like, like yeah. shut off their work because they're yep. obviously known as the doctor. Uh, the so, government yeah, is... They're the only game in town, right? Like, who's, mm-hmm. people are going to come to them no matter what. You need them. I'm sure you go to a party, a wedding, and it's like, hey, I don't want to... I don't want to oppose or anything, but... <laughs> Do you have five minutes to talk about my little yeah. issue here? Um, the government has implemented a... Uh, new policy where apparently they're going to be forgiving up to $60,000 of student loans for doctors practicing in rural areas. But a lot of people are saying that, uh, number one, um, people may use this as a stepping stone, like get their loans forgiven, sort of work in a rural area area for a while and then move on and people are also saying that we always talk about a shortage of health uh, of uh, doctors but that the main issue is actually kind of a health crisis like more people are getting sicker living longer and so their advocates are suggesting that they put this money instead into social health programs instead uh, you know to try and reduce poverty and keep people healthier curious about your thoughts Mm. well Mm. Um, I read an article over the weekend, which was also very sobering and along the similar lines here, Grant, which is uh, that too many people frontline are wearing more than one hat. You know, if you were a nurse, now you're doing um, potentially some of the relief of the paramedics that drive people in. And, you know, if you're... for example, part of some kind of emergency room ER or emergency department scenario, then you're taking on way more in two hours than you would have, you know, 10 years ago because of exactly what you're saying. More people are getting sick, people are living longer, and there isn't enough relief for the people doing um, anything, I guess, in in medical scenarios, but especially in emergency scenarios. And the, the, the fact that you're pointing out a lot of these, I guess, parallel um, situations for remote 
areas means that this kind of problem is spread out in more than one capacity, right? So uh, the funding, I think, I'm not sure my own opinions on that because we need funding in a lot of different ways. So should we really be saying that the funding is more necessary here and not there? I don't know mm -hmm. how you triage or prioritize that. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Not, yeah. yeah, and I'm not yeah. sure I know what the social programs, when we say that, how you determine, how you would. Mm. I do think there's a level of positive, even if that's starting doctor. And again, I go back to seeing this years on TV, uh, you know, TV shows, here's a doctor in a small place and how those doctors would stay forever because that was the storyline said so, whatever it might be. <laughs> but the reality is there's such a dire need for, an, for attention, for not having those hours. And I get that they're, they need off hours just like anyone. But when you're looking at no emergency rooms, no, that access not right. being there, I would need people in these areas to say to me, we'll take a doctor who's here for three or four years for the break on their loans as a stepping stone because doctors, wherever you go, nurses, whoever, everywhere starts out probably as a stepping stone to another position, even if it's at the same hospital. The only thing... When you read this grant and I hear about the privatization and how many doctors are starting to say, you know what, I'm not so sure I'm against that now, especially when it's going to come to helping our emergency wards. And especially when mm. we're even in bigger towns, seeing them closed, I can't even begin to imagine somewhere out on Nunavut what, what goes exactly. on and, and how you find yeah, someone. Yeah, right. And what did you say, Grant? 28%? You know, you think, mm -hmm. I think that was the number of the, you know, I thought it was a bigger number, but it, you can't have these disparities. And if we're having them in London, Ontario or Toronto or, or anywhere here, what the heck are they going through? Yeah. Yeah, it's very odd, isn't it? Because we technically have sort of the same rights to equal. You have the right to live in the most rural area imaginable and have exactly the same services that you have in the city, right? But in in practice, that rarely really yeah. is the case that that ever happens. And I suppose it just reflects the... Oh, it's the most vague way of putting it ever, but the complexity of managing a gigantic country like this. Mm. And uh, yeah, definitely not sure how I stand on privatization, but uh, if it is the way forward to reduce the burden of our system a little bit or just give people more and more of a leg up here and there, right. uh, then I guess that's reasonable. Mm. We got time to squeeze in one more? Yeah. Yes, we do. Yeah. Um, so we're talking about taxes a little bit and uh there are quite a few changes this year but i guess i'll just highlight one that i think you and i have uh, all of us have heard about uh during the pandemic there was a really easy flat rate way to claim working from home expenses uh, uh but that is has been eliminated now uh so you do have to get now a T2200, I believe it is, form mm -hmm. filled from your employer and very meticulously keep track of all of your utilities, your receipts, your internet, your rent, uh, et cetera, et cetera. They also note that uh, people who own their homes and have mortgages with um, mortgage insurance, et cetera, uh, that is not going to be very lucrative in terms of claiming that on your taxes. Uh, the experts are basically saying, like, yes, I do this, but I will admit that it may not be easy or really worthwhile for everybody to do it. 
Uh, and then they also just remind people that getting a huge tax refund may seem like a big windfall at the time, but it's actually not the greatest tax plan. And you can submit a form to your employer and have some bigger uh, sort of the right amount of deductions taken off your paycheck during the year so that your tax refund isn't going to be so huge when it comes, but you're essentially not loaning your money interest-free to the government until tax mm -hmm. time. Got any thoughts or tax tips that you guys personally use? Oh, tax yeah, tips? That's what I used to be told, like that whole one. What are you letting the government have that for? Don't you want the windfall? But as you say, Grant, it is certainly not the best way. You hope, and I also wonder about people who have had these offices from home, the working from home, the privileges, and are kind of split. It'd be interesting to see how that looks too during tax time for corporations <laughs> and individuals. I just think everything's too exactly. complicated. You know, I, I was literally well, just going to say paying this. It. It's just so <laughs> stop complicated. paying it. Stop paying it. See if they come out. Uh, no, I was, right. yeah. I was literally going to say the same thing. I don't know whether it's because of my disability or just my lack of executive functioning. I don't know. But people say, like, just fill out this T6700,000 form. What's the big <laughs> deal? And I'm like, all this paperwork, these forms, can't forget my it. financial literacy, I just can't keep up, man. Like, I just... It's too complicated. Why do you think and it's we never keep Ryan different. Chin kicking around? Ryan and Chin like and our that, pay Yeah. And, pay what? and the thing is, like, it's not just about, oh, tax season's here. Start paying attention. Like, some of these things you got to do throughout the year. And as you said, be meticulous yeah. about it and know the details ahead of time so you know what you're saving. Like, where am I going to go find all this stuff uh, now? And you and Grant can't just keep hanging on to those bills. We're pay somebody. Come good. on. You got the We're money. Not at this. <laughs> if you can convince me to even look at my bank statements, yeah. uh, we're a little bit ahead. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> Download PDFs. Oh, okay. <laughs> Thanks, Grant. Thanks. Grant Hardy, usually joining us on Mondays and Wednesdays for headlines and, of course, bonus headlines here and there. So always a good time and good conversation. After the break, we have Wellness with Francis Wong. Today's topic, is there a difference between fragrance sensitivities and fragrance allergies? We're going to talk about it after the break on Kelly and Remia. Stick around and learn something new. Kelly and Ramya return with more in a moment. Taxes. What is it called? TurboTax? The really popular program. Uh, whatever it was. Huh? Still around, right? Yeah, I think so. I don't, I don't, I don't pay I attention to it. commercials, so I don't know. <laughs> Okay. Anyway, side note, but I tried it and it was successful. Like CRA didn't come back and say, what the heck is this? So I guess it was fine for that year. They haven't got around to you yet. <laughs> Please stop. I don't want to think about them coming here They'll four years you, later and knocking on in. <laughs> yeah. my inbox being like, um, that tax you did, that was unintelligible anyway well, but they would say to you it was admirable that you gave it a try good appreciate effort. the accessibility good quote effort. good efforts but you owe us 500 yeah right what no it's too late there's got to be a you know um what do you call that notwithstanding clause or something on this right where you... oh no there isn't for taxes no <laughs> even if someone does it for you and makes a mistake Fine. it's still your fault on uh, line 1700 here Talking about how ignorant we are and just telling everybody about it. But anyways, <laughs> all that to it. say that I never went back to doing the taxes that way. I, I just went to my accountant after that. It was a lot of work. Wasn't Turn willing to put it in. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's what your accountant says every time is cha-ching. Yeah, exactly. Folks, 
<laughs> Let's chat about the world of wellness, folks. This is Health and Wellness with Francis Wong. Hello, I'm Francis Wong, and I invite you to join me as we explore topics of health and wellness so that you can make the best choices for you to live an informed and radiant life. Francis, some great conversations lately because we're learning so many different things. I want to jump into this because last year we talked a little bit about indoor air quality, which is a slight concern here when you consider how many hours we spend indoors, particularly during these winter months. One thing you touched on was indoor smells and fragrance, and we're going to get into that a little bit more today on the program. Thanks, Kelly. Yes, if anyone wants to go back and listen to it again or catch it for the first time, it's episode 1494. As a refresher, a study published in the Journal of Exposure Science and Environmental Epidemiology in 2001 showed that about 87% of our time is spent inside buildings, 6% in enclosed vehicles, and then a measly 7% actually outside. So in addition to some of the other um, issues with indoor pollution that we talked about, fragrance is a big topic. Why? Because as humans, we like things to smell nice, but a lot of people have sensitivity to fragrances. If you get into your friend's car and start sneezing or getting a headache from their air freshener, you are not alone. Anne Steinman, a professor at the University of Melbourne, did several studies on fragrance sensitivities and found in one of her larger studies across four countries, including the U.S., that an average of 32% of adults said they had health issues as a result of exposure to consumer products with fragrances, mm. and that whether they're using the items themselves or were simply exposed to them. So we can see it's in our collective awareness a lot more uh, with workplaces, schools, and medical centers proclaiming themselves to be fragrance-free. Yes. Okay, so let's actually define, maybe break down what fragrance means so that we're on the same page we know what we're talking about. Sure. So um, the International Association of Fragrance, yes, of course, there is such an association. They define fragrance as a scent, typically a complex mixture of numerous volatile chemicals and other ingredients. A fragrance is generally intended to provide an aroma, to mask an odor, or both. Okay. I, I sit here and think when you mentioned the give the example of getting in a car a while ago, and I think... Wow, how many times, though, is is a fragrance bothersome to me because of the strength of it versus just it, it itself? But we'll get to those things in a bit. Is there a difference between uh, fragrance sensitivities and allergies? Yeah, so I think you can consider them to be along the same continuum. If someone is wearing a perfume or a hand lotion that bothers you, it can be considered a fragrance sensitivity. We're talking more than just not liking the scent. A fragrance sensitivity can trigger a range of reactions. Some of the commonly reported reactions to fragrances include skin problems like rashes or hives, respiratory issues like coughing or shortness of breath or even asthma attacks, neurological issues like dizziness, fainting, or migraines, and nasal problems such as congestion and watery eyes. Fragrance allergies are similar to sensitivities, but worse. 
it causes an overreaction of the immune system. So similar to how some people have a strong reaction to pollen, the fragrance triggers the body to release chemicals that cause allergy symptoms. And these can range from things like an itchy red rash and some of the other reactions I just mentioned for fragrance sensitivities. But on the more serious side, it can include anaphylaxis where the person may experience chest pain or a rapid weak pulse, shortness of breath, trouble swallowing, and even possibly vomiting. In such cases of severe reaction, you'd want to go to emergency. There's also something called MCS, which stands for multiple chemical sensitivities. It's a health condition where chemical and pollutant exposure from different products results in some of the same adverse reactions from a smell sensitivity. And getting back to fragrance-free policies, another article by Steinman in the journal Building an Environment stated that the majority of the population that was surveyed preferred their environment to be fragrance-free and would not go to certain places if they knew the exposure would make them feel ill or they would actually limit their time in a business that had fragrance products. And I can say for myself, that applies. Um, as I generally walk to the far side of the mall to avoid being overwhelmed by the Lush Cosmetics store, you probably mm. know the one that I'm talking yep. about, where you can smell their fragrance soaps and bath bombs from miles away. Mm. And not to discriminate, but for those who do love Lush, um, if you live in Vancouver, they just opened their first Lush spa on Robson Street. It's the first of its kind in Canada. Ooh, okay. Cool shout out. Um, so I'm very curious because, you know, you're talking a lot about fragrance allergies and I feel like now we hear a lot more, at least anecdotally, uh, and when we talk about fragrance-free environments too, about fragrance uh, sensitivities, right? Where people are like, we, we can't tolerate the actual sense. Um, but the allergy part is really interesting to break down. So is there a difference between natural and synthetic fragrances that could contribute to people's allergies, I guess. Yeah, so this is the perfect segue because I don't have the same repulsive response to the fragrances I smell when I walk by another body shop, Sage Natural Wellness. This is a health and wellness store that sells body care products like soaps and deodorants, along with essential oils and diffusers. They use 100% natural plant-based products. And I think that because it's natural, that my body just doesn't get that same kind of reaction that I can get from synthetic fragrances. Synthetic fragrances, on the other hand, are made of materials such as alcohol and petrochemicals to recreate natural scents. And of course, the answer to the question why is it all comes down to the dollar. Synthetic fragrances are based on formulas, so it's easier to get that right consistency each time. It's less resource intensive and also much less expensive to make. And let's not forget about the fact that companies don't even have to disclose what ingredients they use in fragrances because it's considered a trade secret. Eey. Wow, but isn't this why we have rules and regulations? Doesn't Health Canada require the labeling of, you know, with ingredients of those products? While that is true for most things, Kelly, there are two important things that I will address. And one is that, as I mentioned, the industry claims that fragrances are trade secrets due to the intellectual effort required um, uh, to create the fragrance uh, compositions. Uh, uh. And so um, trade secrets are necessary to protect their intellectual property. Because of this claim, many consumer product regulations, and this is globally, have specifically exempted fragrance from ingredient disclosure requirements. The second point that I think is even more eye-opening and concerning from my point of view is that not only do manufacturers not have to tell you what's in a fragrance, but the safety of these fragrance chemicals is not determined or monitored by any governmental agency worldwide. Yikes. Instead, wow. 
it is, yeah, it is up to the fragrance industry to self-regulate. So you heard that right. The International Fragrance Association, which is the association defining what a fragrance is, is responsible for fragrance safety. That's like the fox guarding the hen house. Yeah. You bet. So wow. Most yeah, so most of the science studies on fragrances also are done by manufacturers themselves and have never been published in peer-reviewed scientific journals. So it truly is buyer beware. It's quite interesting because we're not just talking about fragrances, perfumes, right? There's so much skincare mm -hmm. involved in all this, but uh, yet it's a very convoluted gray area. So can you cover some of the products that may carry hidden fragrances that we're potentially overlooking? Because this is a lot of information to take in and uh, comprehend. It definitely. Um, so a lot of these are household products that we don't necessarily even give a second thought to. So I mentioned air fresheners in cars earlier, but some people might be using air fresheners at home, like those Glade plugins. And be mindful of scented candles because that also can have artificial scents. Some of the obvious ones are laundry detergents and dryer sheets if you use those. That stuff gets washed into your clothing, pillowcases, and bed sheets. Ask yourself, do you really want direct contact with those items all day long and all night long? I don't. And I know you mentioned cologne a couple of weeks ago when you were talking about skincare routines, Kelly, with Ramya, but unfortunately, perfumes and colognes also fall into this category. So can you recall a time where you've seen any ingredient labels on the bottles? Mm, no, nope. uh, I don't no, think so. No. Do you even no, look no. for them or like get some no. fragrance? I mean, you can ask <laughs> and, and I'm sure get some. These are the nodes that we use to create <laughs> the smells. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. Know, and that's about the most. But the things that we should, we you know, I never hear them say about the carrier. These little plastic beads and so on. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, so this Francis, is a good time to... Oh, go ahead, sir. Yes. And I was just going to say that this is a good time to inventory the products that you have at home, and then you can start looking at replacing them with cleaner products should you choose to do so. Yeah, yeah. Um, so if we do want to use those fragrances, do you have some recommendations of what we could use? Yeah, so I would suggest supporting businesses and brands that use natural fragrances like Sage Natural Wellness. If you really like a certain brand's product, but they don't disclose their ingredients, contact them and ask them for the fragrance chemicals list. If they do disclose the ingredients and you realize that they're toxic, let them know you'd love to purchase the same product if it was made using non-toxic chemicals. We have to let them know what we want so that they can make these kind of products. In the meantime, we can vote with our dollars and choose to use natural products that are good for us, the environment, and for those around us. Yeah, a lot of people working hard to create, and I mean, you might even be lucky enough to stumble across something that is made more natural, that has a similar scent, or well, just say, look, I just don't want to do that. I don't want... Yeah, it's something to uh, You know, to about. have something that's... Eh, yeah, and, uh, you know, there are so many natural things that are made and potent enough, if that's important to you, or, or just give you that scent, and it's nothing like supporting local, but Francis... You know we'll hear the, oh, but the cost, but yet people will run out and spend massive amounts of money on the name brand. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's true. We're going to get into this a little bit more um, next time we chat. We're going to talk a little bit more about um, essential oils and fragrances further. So if people want to go the natural route and, and understand why we want to go that way, uh, we'll be discussing that.
Yeah, it's a bit of a fad, right? Like nowadays, you're hearing more about people who um, make their own products, sell their own products, talk about natural fragrances only, natural ingredients only. And it's, as you said, we can start paying more attention to it because it's kind of uh, more in our awareness now than before, especially with fragrance-free environments. And a lot of us, if it's our, our first time hearing about that, we want to be exposed to why that is. But still, I think a lot of us just take it as like a blanket um, concept of, oh, people don't like strong smells, and we don't think of it outside of that. There's a lot of detail that we talked about today, Francis, that is way mm -hmm. beyond just the smells um, being too much. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And how you're going to get, if you're someone who loves the spritz, put your perfume or cologne on, are you going to find it in that natural product? Francis, wonderful. Look forward to the future conversations on this. Thank you. Francis Wong joins us bi-weekly to talk wellness. Uh, we do this opposite our nutrition segment with Julia Caranchis. Canada's uh, accessibility officer, Stephanie Cadu, just released her first report. It's called Everyone's Business, and it highlights the strides that we've made for a barrier-free Canada. So we're going to talk about where we are now, how far we still have to go, of course, and that's all after the break on Kelly and Romia. Keep it here for more of Kelly and Ramya on AMI-tv. A lot of hot-button topics on the show here today. It's Kelly and Ramya. We're back from a long weekend, and we're jumping right into incredibly interesting conversation. Uh, one of it being the next topic that we have on board, which is the 2019 Accessible Canada Act. Of course, people in the disability community, all of us, I'd say, are very interested in this conversation. And the 2019 Accessible Canada Act, to break it down, uh, aims to fundamentally reshape the culture surrounding disability in Canada and ultimately create a barrier-free Canada by 2040. And time is flying. So to find out where we stand now at the current state of affairs, Chief uh, Canada's Chief Accessibility Officer, Stephanie Cadu, just released the first progress report called Everyone's Business. And this highlights the strides we've made and how much work there is to go before 2040 hits us. So Stephanie, thank you for making some time to come on, Kelly and Ramia. Nice to be here. Thank you. Can you tell us first uh, about your role as Chief Accessibility Officer of Canada before we get started on the report? Sure. Well, my role was created by the Act. Uh, it's enshrined in the Act. And I am an independent advisor to the minister responsible for the Act. Um, so what does that mean? Um, I'm there to monitor and report uh, on the progress that we're making under the Act. And... Basically, that means everything from uh, how well are we doing, what progress are we making, but also what's happening internationally that could affect what's going on, what's happening in other places, and what isn't happening. What are the barriers uh, to actually achieving a barrier-free Canada? Mm. When you look at that role, Stephanie, in that capacity, does it, as that outside consultant looking creating, following up, saying, making the suggestions. 
Does it give you a different position than if the minister was looking after it? I mean, you can obviously have that lens that focuses right on everything, but as you're prepping this major report, what was it like to know you're doing this, seeing it in a, maybe from a, a different eye, and being able to put it out there in the way that you did? Is there anything that's different the way handling it this way as opposed to if you were the minister? Well, I think it, I think it does. Um, I'm independent. So um, I'm not the one doing the implementing of the act, right? I'm not the one right. responsible for um, deciding what gets done or how or whatever. I'm there to to, to monitor um, and and to look at, well, is it working? Um, is that progress coming or not? Um, and with a set of eyes um, that are uh, rooted directly in the disability community, I myself uh, live with a disability, um, but also outside and beyond um, directly government. So the act also encompasses um, the, the federally regulated private sector. So that's the banks, the telecoms, um, the airlines and airports. And so I have a, a, a sort of a broader uh, ability to keep an eye on everything um, than a minister responsible for a small piece of, of this. So all of the ministers of government uh, ultimately have responsibility over some of the work that, that's underway. Um, but my job is, is to keep a, a broader view uh, over the whole implementation of the act. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. And I mean, when we're talking accessibility, it is broad mm. to begin with, right? In and of itself, there's just so much to uh, discuss whether it be progress or the understanding of what accessibility is, what accommodation looks like. And then you mentioned, you know, the international scope versus what's going on in Canada and then breaking down what's going on in Canada in all these different areas. Yeah, that's right. And what lends itself to us that maybe we can look and learn from others or how from what people you speak to in that opportunity give right. us. So give yeah. us the scoop. Like what is being highlighted in the Accessible Canada Act as needing improvement, maybe um, some specific areas, mm -hmm. and the changes around that, whether it be positive or needs work. Sure. Well, the act, the act itself, um, really is is trying to initiate uh, a massive culture shift, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. and with that, there has to be a mindset shift as society. We have got to recognize, and, and I don't have to tell you this, but um, we have to recognize that people with disabilities are not the problem. The barriers are the problem, and it's the barriers that are costing us all a better quality of life and, and costing the inclusion of people with disabilities. And work has begun. And so this report is really setting, uh, just setting a baseline for the fact that the work is starting. We've made a commitment to the work. But we have a long way to go, and we have a lot to learn about what accessibility is and why it matters. If we get, if we're going to get to that barrier-free 2040, um, the the reality is, as you say, accessibility is complex. Um, the work is not easy, and but it's important because yep. more than a quarter of the people living in our country live with one or more disabilities. It okay. affects everyone. It affects. Mm -hmm and everything um and it's not a niche issue so we're really shifting our mind to the idea that and what we have to shift everyone's mind to is that accessibility isn't an optional thing it's a mandatory thing 
And um, so while it's great that we're having the conversation, it's great that we've made this commitment and it's a really exciting time because um, I'm seeing similar action in other parts of the world. The conversation is happening. Um, but in order for us to, to actually do it now, and that's what's important is the actual doing, the, the, the acting and the putting the things in place. Um, there are some things I think that, that will need to happen. And some of that, those things are mandatory training for everyone about what accessibility is, what about what is unconscious bias? How do we tackle that? Um, because we have to understand what we know and what we don't know if we're going to move forward. Um, mm. I think we have to say, you know, accessibility is not optional. Therefore, funding accessibility is not optional. Right. We have to have dedicated budgets. Um, and we need to tell people uh, what they actually need to achieve. We've waited for a really long time for people to make things accessible because it's the right thing to do. Um, and that hasn't worked. So we do need more regulations under the act that will actually set the bar that has to be reached. And in order to measure everything, we have to make sure we have data. Uh, we have to make sure we're measuring the right things to know if things, if our progress is, is happening, if it's, if the things we're doing are working or not. Um, so those are some things that, that I've highlighted in this first report um, that are important if we're going to move forward uh, in a, in a positive way to towards 2040. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And get past, we, we have a lot of well-meaning people who just don't really know what to do, need that guidance. And we've got to stop thinking we're insensitive because we don't know what to do, or we may look at other things first. They have to be put in place. So that, that takes out the concern, the worry of, oh, well, you know, I don't know what to do. Where am I supposed to find this out to do, quote, the exactly. right thing, unquote. Um, what about positive changes that you've seen uh, in the way of whether it's reception of this? Um, anything particularly that really makes you inspired? I am actually really inspired by the fact that the conversations are actually happening um, and that we're not having to be dragging people to the table to have the conversations. And I say that on this international sort of basis. Um, I've been to a number of conferences over the last couple of years I've never seen the level of engagement and action on accessibility that I'm seeing today. So, so that's positive. Um, we're saying the right things. We're making the commitments. The act is one of them. Um, but broadly in society, uh, businesses are making these commitments. They're, they're realizing that, that this is the right thing to do and that they need to do it. Now it's the matter of really drilling down into what does it actually mean to be accessible? Yes. We actually... How do we actually remove some of these barriers? What are the barriers in our hiring processes that are keeping people with disabilities the most underemployed group? Um, what are the barriers in the built environment? We all think about ramps, but what else is it? What is it for people with vision loss? What is it for people with um, hearing loss? Uh, and so getting now and drilling down is important. I'm seeing the, these conversations taking place. The act is is ensuring that happens um, with the the fact that organizations are now ma mandated to create plans in cooperation and coordination with people with disabilities so that they are really digging into their own uh, understanding in their organization of of what the barriers are that they need to tackle but now we actually have to put that those nice words and the things we're saying about we want to be accessible uh, we have to put that into action and get things done 
Yeah, it's interesting. Like, I tend to agree with you that the conversations are happening, and and a lot of us with disabilities from the communities, there is, you know, on a on a general like everyday experiential level you know there are complaint lines or uh, places you can go or people you can talk to organizations advocacy groups that you can reach out to to say hey where do i go with this right with this issue or a challenge or barrier that i'm facing which i think is a vast improvement from you know when i was a teenager and you're like i don't know what to do here right so um and that's education and work and recreation and all these different areas but i the, the part that I think is still very frustrating on that same level, Stephanie, is where do people take accountability? And whether we're talking businesses or government or just legislation and uh, teeth of legislation in general, I think a lot of us still feel like there's so much of this passing the buck attitude. And yeah. that goes back to everything you said originally, which is an attitudinal shift. But is there, um, do you see a straightforward way to deal with this aspect? Um, it, yes, uh, ultimately it's more regulation, which, which isn't the be all and end all, um, mm -hmm. but it is important because regulations are law. And so it takes standards that are, you know, the things that we know we should do, um, or the best practice that we think we should do. And it puts it into law and says, no, you must do this. Um, and until it's in law, it's difficult to enforce if not impossible. And, and that's what we've seen for many years. We know people with disabilities have, have ultimately had the rights to inclusion mm. uh, for a long time. Uh, they're, they're entrenched in our charter. But in order to access those rights, we've had to really fight on an individual level. Yes. Each, each time, um, through a very long, cumbersome legal process, in order to achieve those rights or, or to actualize yeah. those rights. And that's what we want to change. The act is, is ultimately going to reverse that onus from, from the individual to the systems. Um, yep. And but in order for that to happen, we have to see those expectations around what is accessible employment put into regulations so that it can be uh, enforced so that you know compliance can be assured um, and that it doesn't continue to rest with individuals to raise complaints. Yeah, put it in black and white. And also the disability community is working at it. We end up becoming fractured because we're so focused trying to make people understand this is what's needed over here. Well, right. look over here. This is what's needed here. And like that drilling down you talked about, it, it's so difficult. Where can people access the report, Stephanie, and how can they participate in this process when it comes to making Canada barrier-free? Well, you know what? They can access the report online. Um, it's on the on the government website, on our website, uh, through our social media channels. Um, so pretty easy to access. Um, it's been pre prepared in a variety of accessible formats. Um, and ultimately, we're still learning, too. And so if, yes. if there's a format that's, that's not there that's needed, uh, we need to hear about it. We are, we are, we are also learners in this space. Um, so I would encourage people to do that. I encourage people to get involved, uh, access, uh, access, engage, talk to us, um, tell us what you're seeing, tell us what you're not seeing. Um, it's all, it's all going to be, important learning for for me and my team too as we as we go forward monitoring the act 
there's lots awesome. of ways for people to engage both with us, uh, like through social media, as I say, but also um, with the Accessibility Standards Organization, who are constantly recruiting for their technical committees um, and uh, and other mechanisms and organizations, the federal government organizations, and all of those companies that are are uh, are sort of encompassed under the Act are also looking for expertise and and need for people to reach out and and let them know where there are where those barriers still exist stephanie thank, thank you, you so much for your time uh, we appreciate your position on this of course but also just that the hopeful message that we can all take part in this and hopefully um make this progress happen to 2040. that's right it's everybody's business exactly Thanks. thank you Thank we you. were speaking with Chief Accessibility Officer for Canada, Stephanie Cadu, sharing the report that uh, called everyone's business. And this is, of course, about the progress of Barrier-Free Canada and the Accessible Canada Act. After the break, in the second hour of Kelly and Ramia, stay tuned for our Voices segment with guide dog and service animal reporter Devin Wilkins about her passions. Plus, Young Wang is talking us about, or joining us to talk about Lunar New Year. It's going to be very fun. But up next, we're going to revisit our time at W. Ross McDonald School from earlier this year because we want to recapture our um, time with the STP program. We'll be right back. Keep it here for more of Kelly and Ramya on AMI-tv. It's hour two of Kelly and Ramya, the February 20th edition of the show, and it's a real blast having the conversations we've had in hour one. Check it out on your favorite podcast platform. On AMI-tv live right now, though, 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern time with Kelly McDonald and Ramia Amuthan. Uh, just the conversation we had right now, Kels, with Stephanie Cadu, our access mm. chief accessibility officer for Canada, was quite enlightening. I did say at the end that it was a very hopeful kind of stance that she has, of course, and she's a... Uh, you know, highlighted a lot of different ways that we are continuing to make progress and identifying some realistic things that are going on for barriers and for accountability with the government, with the private sectors, with everything, but really just that, you know, everyone still can and do make a difference. You know, I really like the putting the laws in. And some people say, why do we need laws to do the right thing? And it's because we don't know how to do the right thing. And when someone says, well, you think I'm, I'm, I'm dumb? I, th I think I know how to be kind, considerate. Yeah, but if you've never walked into that arena and walked in those shoes or had the life experience to say, well, I know a person who's vision impaired might need this, I will right. ask or I will do that, whatever, you can't be expected to know. As I always say to people, What's well, none of your business to know? Like, you, so that's why you ask questions. That's why you try to learn and take from there. But there is nothing wrong. It's not a crime or a sinful thing. How dare you not know how to to guide me? Th mm. That's not your life experience. However, you know you can't leave me out there where someone says, "Well, they'll fend for themselves," or they'll, they'll, they'll don't ask or don't do anything. Um, and we're not talking laws simple as as necessarily cut like that, but things that we need to put in place for those built environments exactly. and and things to help everyone. How do you get away with other than well, the building's a heritage building, the uh, the elevator we don't necessarily need to have braille. Like th there are those out clauses for some things, and some of them probably where people would say, "Well, why not? If the building's going to need a new elevator." 
the Braille isn't going to to be a problem. Braille was around before elevators were. So why would that be something you'd, you'd not have there? I think Stephanie's viewpoint, the drilling down is really important. And I know we, as people with disabilities, I'd like to learn more in understanding other disabilities. Of course. I don't feel I should be exempt from having to, especially at a workplace, you know, having sensitivity training or whatever it might be that carries us forward um, mm. and whatever that looks like in the future. Yeah, it's it's got to be an all hands on deck kind of conversation. Yeah. And for that to happen, we, of course, got to identify that it is the barriers and not the people with disabilities, right? Because we're still in that phase of the conversation in many, many areas as well, like with employment. Um, but, you know, there's there is a lot going on, and I appreciated that she highlighted that in terms of progress, in terms of people, uh, people's intentions, and just internationally, the scope of these things being in people's awareness overall is much, much better than it was before. And I think we're all ambassadors. I know a yeah. lot of us feel the yeah. pressure of answering those questions about our, our disability, something personal. So you wouldn't ask me that, but I, I think everybody but we are. Yeah. gets asked stuff, gets asked, how do you do that? Why are you doing that? What is that for? And they have to be an ambassador, whether it's a workplace situation or just a choice made. Folks, we are reaching into the archives to revisit our feature on W. Ross McDonald's short-term placement program. Back in January, we took a trip to Brantford, Ontario to spend a few hours to, uh, chatting with the kids about media, broadcasting, and of course, this year's show, Kelly and Ramya. We were also fortunate to catch up with some of those who participated in the weekend, including kids and organizers. Now, here's a few of those highlights for you. A shot of W. Ross McDonald School from the outside, surrounded by snow, with a fountain in the foreground. There's a large W. Ross plaque inside the school. Uh, Lucas Newhouse. So I'm the uh, short-term program manager. Um, so I coordinate the weekends and oversee the program while it's running. We're modeled around something called expanded core curriculum. Um, so this is uh, something related to um, education for students with who are blind and low vision. Um, and it's essentially things that they don't get in their foundational education that they need to be successful in life. So. Um, there's lots of different sort of facets of expanding core curriculum, but um, like access to technology, um, opportunities in recreation, independent living skills, um, and like social interaction skills would all be sort of examples of expanded core curriculum. Uh, so they run one week in a month. Uh, kids come in on Friday nights and leave Sunday afternoons. Um, coordinating means just uh, setting the themes for the weekends and kind of putting everything together. So uh, like contacting AMI to come and uh, share your sort of talents and insights into our media and broadcasting weekend would be a good example of coordinating. We see Lucas, the program manager, assisting the kids learning and touching the large Sony camera. The Kelly and Rumia team chat to the students. Music video, Johnny Reed, music video ones. Um, just it, a lot of stuff falls into your other interests too. Families with uh, children and students obviously um, with visual impairments are a pretty tight-knit community and um, like to share resources with each other. So, you know, if we have a student that comes and has a really great experience at short-term program, they go home and tell their families and their families tell their, you know, friends that are in that community and then um, the word just kind of spreads from there. This is sort of a, a bit of a niche type of weekend. Um, 
What I typically t say to students is when you're registering for SDP weekends, register for things that you're genuinely interested in. Mm -hmm. um, so everybody that came this weekend, this is our media and broadcasting weekend, have a real um, genuine interest in this type of um, curriculum, I guess. Um, but we have different themes every STP weekend. Um, we have a sports weekend coming up. Um, previously, we had like a cooking and independent living skills weekend. Um, we have a creative arts and music weekend. So w when the kids sign up, the idea is that they're signing up for something that they really want to participate in, I guess. You know, we want people to be excited to come, right? Um, that being said, like, you know, we have weekends where we have 25 kids here, right? Um, especially our, our sports and music weekends tend to be very popular. Um, those do parents weekends, those are um, pretty interesting. Uh, we try to do like all ages opportunities, so um, for some of the younger kids that maybe can't come and stay a whole weekend independently, they can come with their parents and have some fun and then we typically try to do some like information sessions with the parents as well or like some pathway planning, that type of thing. You know we have themes and expanded core curriculum opportunities and, and um, you know we, we, we try to create this um, super accessible environment, but but ultimately it's it's that um, it's that social connection that the kids get to make with each other and the and the friendships that kind of go along with it. That's what keeps kids coming back, and that's the real like um, the real thing that they sort of remember and, and and then bring home and spread the word about. Students surrounded around the Sony camera, looking through the viewfinder and the lights attached. We chatted with Emily Shevers about her time with the STP program. So I started coming to STPs as a student, actually, uh, in my high school years, and then had a little bit of a break, and then have now actually come back as a staff. This is probably one of my favorite places to work within the blind community because it's just such a special environment bringing the kids together who don't see each other on a regular basis, and they pretty much only look forward to these short-term programs every month that they get to come um, and seeing their faces light up when they see their friends and it's just such a special weekend to be able to be with them. The program managers assist the students in the gym with the goal ball and pass the ball so they can start playing the game. I'd say it's absolutely social at the forefront because they cannot ask for enough free time throughout the weekend. All they want to do is just hang out with their friends and go play the pianos and do whatever for the weekend. And then the programming is almost a supplementary benefit that they get from coming here. They get to learn some new things, but ultimately seeing the social connections that are made and even knowing for myself when I came here, I met so many different people that then introduced me to other community programs and now that I'm still involved into this day. The students are testing audio through the microphones with headsets on in the live recording room. We get a lot of different age ranges, but the weekends are usually have a set kind of age range that uh, kind of helps to mitigate too many um, different age gaps where you're trying to teach maybe somebody on a parent weekend will get like like eight years old versus um, maybe an outdoor ed weekend we're getting up to like 19 20 years old um, who are still kind of in that high school range um, and so you see a lot of different uh, people and abilities and sometimes that results in kids being able to learn from each other um, and you can kind of cater it to even knowing the kids 
I go to a mainstream school, so um, coming to the SDPs, I feel like it gives me like a good connection to my, you know, my fellow blind people. You know, it gets me to stay connected, be up to date with what's going on in the blind community. Um, I think it's really from person to person. Like for me, I think being in mainstream is best for me. But I know for a lot of other people, coming to um, a program such as Bridges, that's in W Ross, um, it helps people who are going from who finish high school who need to need a little bit of help um, for post-secondary. That's a wonderful program for them. Um, if it's it really just comes down to each person and what they want to do. I think I've been involved for seven years now. Um, my favorite part, to be honest, is the friendships you make. I think the connections I've made in W. Ross and through the SDPs, um, I've become a better person, more confident, better at speaking, and just meeting new people and a better leader. I've been coming to SDPs around maybe a year ago. I probably enjoy the music camp. I play many different instruments. Um, my main one is piano, but I do a few on the sides like uh, drum set and cello. I do really like the auditorium and our pods. I think they're really well laid out. And I like the upstairs part of the gym too. Testing, testing, one, two, three, testing. I really like the opportunities that you get to do here for the short-term programs of the weekend. Like, I wouldn't normally be, do be doing, recording like radio plays and such. And I really like the people here and the food. Why W. Ross? Because we're just, we're set up so perfectly for it. Um, there isn't a facility in Ontario and probably not in Canada that has the same kind of resources. The kids sort of make those like genuine connections with each other. Um, I think that's the, the, the real like selling point of this program. The things I have learned from people um, all around me at the short-term programs at W. Ross, it's, it's amazing. The first few times I didn't know a lot of people, but like Ooh, by, by the end of Saturday, I, I, was already, I was already making friends, already getting delayed in the land. Truly, I do love the sports SDP because I love the hands-on, learning different sports, getting to try different things. I tried blind hockey myself for the first time at our sports STP last year, which was fun. You try a whole bunch of new things. It's those relationships. It's the feeling of being understood. I think um, in mainstream, you really have to push for what you need, um, and often you don't get it, or you have to fight so hard to the point where, like, what's the point of me even doing this anymore? Um, but here, it's everybody's here to help you. Everybody's here to, who really understands what you need. Um, um, and you really, really miss that in um, mainstream. And also the relationships, once again, it's the friends you make and the connections, the networking you can do here is insane. People are um, doing amazing things with sports, with music, with um, anything everywhere. It's just, this place is a great jumping point. We see the students playing with the camera and we see a great goal being scored in the game of goalball. That was a throwback to our time with our uh, friends at W. Ross McDonald School in Brantford, Ontario. We visited them during one of their short-term placement program weekends, and it was a lot of good time. We, of course, talked about broadcasting and such, and Kelly and Ramia over there, but learned a lot about what they do and why they love it. So thank you to all the staff for taking part in that, and to Megan McGraw, our visual producer, for putting this um, piece together. We're going to take a break and come back for our conversation with Young Wang, who joins us monthly on the show. This time, we're highlighting Lunar New Year and a special celebration called Reading and Tea to celebrate the Lunar New Year. We'll be right back. It's Kelly and Ramia. Keep it here for more of Kelly and Ramya on AMI-tv.
It's Kelly and Romeo. We are live 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv every weekday with two hours of a variety of content for you. Guests, contributors, and of course, all kinds of topics. And then at 4 p.m. Eastern time, you can catch us on AMI-audio for the first edition. And of course, anytime you want, go to your favorite podcast platform and find us there. We got the full show uploaded every day. We also have segments for you. Kelly, who's doing vanity today? Is that you? I was just checking. Did it get done? Oh, yeah, there's me. Did it? Okay. Well, it's nice to have you doing vanity. That's just a little audio um, we like to add on to the end of our full show podcast where you can get to know a team member and something that they're up to. Rhymes is doing it tomorrow. And those folks, you got to know, Hardy is up on Thursday for his first audio vanity call. Well, well, well. Celebrations. Yeah, it's going to be kind of cool. Um, it, it's always fun because we, I never know, I'll go and check out what, what, what people contribute and do. And with so many of us on the team doing it now, so it gets really fascinating. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, well, and, and you never know. And people we've said, do, do what you want to do. Share, let the audience get to know you in some capacity, share thoughts, something about yourself or the show or whatever you want. And we know mm -hmm. on this show, anything, sky's the limit. Um, doing a live show also means a little bit of switching, mix, mixing, and matching at times, and today we're going to do that. We're swapping segments a little bit. We uh, invite you to join us for our Voices segment, where we like to hear about your actions, pa or excuse me, passions, drives, and any comments on topics you find important. Today we're joined by our guide dog and service animal reporter, Devin Wilkins, who joins us. Welcome back, Devin, and thanks for saying yes to doing this as I'm trying to work our way through some of our contributors uh, as we moved to television last year. It's nice to be able to give a little more background, thought, feelings, and for the audience to, to meet you guys in a different way. Appreciate you doing this. Oh, well, thanks for having me, and hi to both of you. Hello. Let's start, Devin, with the work career. Let's touch on that a little bit because you've gone over all over the gamut a little bit with work things. And Devin, I'm thinking of this as the first voices we have you on. There's so much that we shared and talked about prepping to get ready for this. Uh, we'll have to have you back. But let's let's touch on your work career. Okay. Well, uh, when I um, uh, went to school, I uh, announced that I wanted to be either a, a surgeon or a, uh, a radio announcer. Oh, uh, what a difference. <laughs> what a contrast. Wow. Yes. Uh, Devin, Devin, before we move further, though, can we talk a little bit on that? Because you say radio announcer. Um, you, at that time, had some health stuff that got later on sorted out. But when you hear someone say radio announcer, there were some other challenges, I'm sure, that people said, really, Devin? And maybe there was another reason that you wanted to be in the medical field? Um, can you t share with us a little bit about that? Or am I getting too personal? Oh, no, 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 that's fine. But I was born with a cleft palate, a cleft lip, and no eyes. So, um, at least the surgeon part that that uh, kind of uh, kept me out of the operating room. Oh yeah, <laughs> mm -hmm, yeah. It's, and, it's a slight inconvenience. <laughs> yes, slightly. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I remember one teacher saying, "Well, I wouldn't want uh, to be your patient." <laughs> oh, oh man. <laughs> well, that's just. But while you're at it, here, yeah, here's the car keys. Though you can be the designated driver. 
Yes. <laughs> and uh, with regard to the radio announcer, um, the voice that I had when I uh, was was first born and for the first uh, 26 years of my life is not the one that I have now. Um, an operation that changed that, uh, the first stage of a cleft palate repair. Mm. I I had my um, I had my lip done when when I was a kid, uh, mm-hmm. and and then I didn't have my palate done till I was twenty six. But funny enough, so, you got inspired to get that work by being in kind of one of the fields that was on your list, kinda. Um, Am I right? Weren't you working in the medical fields of sort by, uh, at yes. that time? Yes. yes, I was. Yeah. So I decided I had seen something in a magazine called Teen Time. I'm not even sure if it's still around anymore. But a fellow, uh, a blind fellow from Batavia, I think, uh, New York, went into the field of dictaphone typing and medical transcription. So I thought, well, that it can do. Mm. <clears throat> so... After I graduated from high school, uh, I took uh, a course that was then offered by the CNIB uh, in dictaphone typing and medical transcription. And then I managed to work uh, in two Toronto hospitals, Central uh, Hospital, which I don't think exists anymore, and what was then known as St. Joseph's Hospital, which is now St. Joseph's Health Center in Toronto mm-hmm. at uh, Queen and Roncesvalles. So I did that for a while, and then I met a lady who uh, was in her senior half of a course in massage and hydrotherapy. And I thought, aha, that definitely uh, fits more what I would like to do. So I took the course, and um, I, uh, there was only one other blind person, and I came uh, first at the end. And um, uh, I tried three times, though, to set up practices uh, in the various communities that I have lived in. And unfortunately, the reputation of... Uh, body rub parlors um, kind of uh, reared its ugly head every time. Yeah, and it's hard to fight against something like that. So I didn't do very well at that, but um, I I had uh, what I would call rewarding results because, you know, people, well, one fellow came in using a crutch and walked out not using it. Mm. So I was happy about that. And uh, I have to tell you, if we have time, I have to tell you uh, um, about uh, a lady. Uh, I was doing some reflexology on her, and that's a separate course uh, from the massage. But I took it up because I thought, well, I can work on feet and ears. And I was working around the rim of her heel and uh, really found a very tender spot. And her response to me at the time was, 
you found out that I have hemorrhoids. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so I said, you, you mustn't keep secrets from your reflexologist. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Oh, Devin, we're going to run short on time on uh, as, as we always do. But can we talk about your soapbox? I know there's some things you'd like to mention. We've got other things here we could talk about. We'll get into those another time. But I know there's something pretty dear to you. And I have to say to myself, being a hobbyist. Yes. Um, I have always loved every aspect of ham radio, uh, or radio, I should say, including ham radio, but especially old-time radio. And uh, you can get um, episodes of, of stories from everywhere, Australia, New Zealand, South Africa, uh, Great Britain, and of course the United States. But it's like pulling hen's teeth to try to get stuff from Canada. And I, th I think that's a real shame because Canadian actors were and are second to none. And I think that the CBC, among others, should still... Um, let people in on that part of their heritage because it mm -hmm. is part of our heritage. And, yeah. uh, you know, you can get millions of episodes of Ma Perkins, and I like all of those, or Pepper Young's family, or One Man's family, or The Guiding Light. But ask for uh, shows like uh, Aunt Lucy, or Brave Voyage, or Laura Limited, and you can't. Probably most dealers uh, uh, this day, like these days, mm -hmm. wouldn't have heard of um, shows like that. And it's too bad. It really mm -hmm. is. We're missing out on part of our heritage. Yeah. And CBC was a leader in technology, too, back then. Yes. All the other broadcasters and networks around the world were coming to CBC to learn how to do what they do. Yeah, that's right. And they should be proud of, CBC should be proud of that. But instead, they closed down their drama department. And uh, now we can't, uh, we can hardly find anything anywhere uh, mm -hmm. on the Internet. And uh, what you can find on the Internet, I'm not sure that people really had official permission to put it on the Internet. Mm. Yeah. But, but at least for nostalgic purposes, you know, you can find yeah. a, a decent amount now, I think, or people have generously put their footage up there, like you said, Devin. But the the aspect of, you know, radio having changed so drastically from those days, from those innovations is true. Yeah. Uh-oh. Careful, Devin. So do you, do you hear it? Uh, do you hear this collections and hobby thing going on? There's what? a hamster running in a wheel over there. Um, Devin <laughs> would love to come on collections and hobbies and share a lot more about Canadian content. So we'll have to do that sometime. Okay. Uh, yeah, wonderful co-host and helping out my co-host. Aren't you the oh, best? Good heavens. Um, talk about your podcast, Devin. We'll get into the other stuff with Canadian broadcast and, and stuff like that. But we should give you a plug because I'm curious. You... you after the age of 60, decided you wanted to do a podcast, and I certainly know a lot of people getting into podcasting, so I don't wish to sound ageist in any capacity, but was there anything difficult for you? Did you kind of have your own attitude about, man, can I learn how to do this? Am I Because you're a pretty confident person. 
Well, I, I am, but when it comes to technology, I would uh, definitely not come to me if I had troubles. <laughs> but however, um, when I came here to Peterborough about uh, oh, 13 years ago, I um, was introduced to Trent Radio. Of course, uh, Trent University is here, and they have their own radio station. And the uh, newly formed chapter of the CCB at the time wanted to have a show on Trent Radio. And so nice. I, I said, that's something I can do. And then when I got to Trent Radio, I mean, I'd heard of po podcasts before, but I never really thought of me doing one uh, until I got there and uh, found out that people who worked at uh, Trent Radio also did podcasts. And uh, I never really thought, oh, I'm too old for that because there is so much that we can talk about. Mm -hmm. And so now I have um, Insight Peterborough, which is the show that I do for uh, Trent Radio and for the, the CCB. Uh, there's that one and um, uh, Sp Spotlight on Assistance Dogs, which I often talk about on the uh, Guide and Service Dog Report. They're always um, highlighting some cool thing or another. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then um, I have Canadians and old time radio. And uh, I've kind of divided those shows into three categories. Shows that were made in Canada and uh, shows uh, that were that uh, were made by people who had left Canada to pursue their own careers which is nice. Yeah. And then yeah. Uh, just recently, uh, I've got shows about Canada, um, like wow. Sergeant Preston of the Yukon. You know, That's it was really done cool. by people in Detroit, but it's about the Yukon. So uh, I, I do those three. So I think of the Canadians you're talking about, uh, the Raymond Burrs, the so many of them that went off to do other things. Uh, Larry Thor, um, is, is that kind of the features you would do yeah. on your yeah. guys? Okay, okay, great. Um, also, don't you do, or did you do, a podcast for the UK? Uh, that's the spotlight on assistance. Okay, dogs. so spotlight, that's where it started out for the, for the towards the UK. Okay, that's what y I was Yes, sure. that's right. Devin, it's cool because you're doing so much now with the podcast stuff and, and because you started, you know, quite late in your career or passion around this, um, was there a huge learning curve where you felt like the challenges were overwhelming to go this route? Well, the the biggest challenge is technology. Yeah, of course. Mm -hmm. Getting my yeah. head around technology. Uh it frustrates me because I really want to know how to uh, get me, myself out of scrapes or stuff like that. But I usually have to go pleading to somebody, can you help me? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, but it's tremendous that you're able, Devin, to just find that way, going to Trent, and just always being interested in taking on different things, trying it out, even when it's rough. 
thank you for doing this today with us. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. That was terrific. Awesome. Devin Wilkins joining us on Voice as we do this once a month. Get a chance on the third, third Tuesday yep. of the month to visit with one of the voices on the network, networks even, folks, that you might know. So please join us for this feature. Glad we got the um, soapbox part of it in. Now that we've teed it up that way. Yeah, and, well, you're uh, just saying that because of hobbies and collections. I was Let's just going to say, and a future hobbies segment. Yeah, yeah it's going to be nice. You're welcome. <laughs> Thank you. Um, we are going to take a break and come back for the second part of the Flipperoo, which was our chat with Young Wang. She's here. She's going to talk about Lunar New Year and the celebration surrounding it. We'll be right back. It's fun, insightful, and inclusive. Kelly and Ramya return in a minute. Welcome back. Another edition of Kelly and Ramya on AMI, AMI TV, AMI Audio, and wherever you listen to podcasts, that's where you can check out our show every weekday. Let's get into a monthly conversation that we have with our freelance journalist. She's a blogger, she's an advocate. She does a lot, and she comes on the show to uh, explore different topics. Today, we're going to get into new Lunar New Year and the long weekend, the Family Day long weekend that just passed. Let's bring on Young Wang. Hi, I'm Young Wang. I'm a blogger, disability advocate, and immigrant social innovator. Join me to explore challenges and changes in our community on Kelly and Remia. Nice to have you back on the show again, and it sounds like you took part in some fun stuff over the uh, Family Day long weekend we just had. What'd you do? Mm-hmm. Nice to see you guys again, too. Um, so it's, it was yesterday, uh, CCB Toronto Visionaries organized a trip to this um, uh, Lunar New Year reading and tea nice. uh, at mm. the uh, Mont- Montgomery um in Montgomery's Inn. So it's a historical site uh, now turning to a museum and a public space for a civic and cultural event. Um, so it, it was a uh, Lunar New Year uh, as well as the Family Day celebration. Mm. So in the reading part, a children's book author, Catherine Little, read two uh, children's picture books to us. Uh, oh. One was 12 in a race. So it was a, a little book about uh, how this uh, Chinese zodiac animal signs, uh, like how these two animals were picked wow. <laughs> a, a, a myth, a, like a mythology. So uh, they, yeah. they had a race, right? So the first 12 animals got picked. Um, and the second book uh, uh, was called uh, 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 Dragon's Dilemma. Uh, so specifically, because this year is the year of the dragon. Uh, mm-hmm. So this book it talks about uh, how dragon, so the most powerful animal among all those 12 animals, uh, end up uh, with the fifth place in the race. So oh. uh, very, yeah, very lovely. So it, they're simple, but beautiful, very lovely um, and uh, heartwarming. So I really enjoyed it. That would be yeah, great for kids enjoyable. to be able to take all that in. Now, how did, mm-hmm. just just curious, to take all this in, all of you, 
Were people sitting on chairs, the floor? Was there any particular, especially in a wonderful site like this, way that you guys were able to, you know, collectively sit and enjoy the stories? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a big room. Uh, uh, we, we sit on chair, like rows of chairs. Uh, the, the, the author was in, in the front uh, reading, uh, holding up these picture books and read to us. A lot of people, like it's full, full room of people. Um, and uh, they're coming from, you know, the different people coming from different culture background. And also because it's family day. So uh, there, there were babies, there were people in the 80s and uh, like all kinds of people. And after afterward, uh, um, the audience uh, raised questions. So uh, there were publisher and author asked her about you know the process of uh, publishing a book, uh, and I asked a question too. But uh, my the question was out of a cultural concern. So I said, "Okay, I'm blind. I cannot see, but I wondered." Uh, what do the animals in your book look like? Mm. So especially for the dragon, does mm -hmm. it look uh, lovely or look fierce or formidable? Mm. Mm. I, yeah, I asked because now in the Chinese community, uh, people are concerned about the, that image uh, of the dragon because right. in Western, yeah, in Western culture, dragon is a bad animal. But uh, in Chinese, actually, we call this animal long, and it's a very powerful animal, but also with a good heart. So it, it's in charge of the weather, it brings rains to the earth, uh, it's uh, yeah, full of power and justice and a good heart. So it's, uh, there are different connotations. That uh, is in the quite two. interesting. Yeah, in the two animals. Uh, so... Um, uh, Many Chinese are talking, oh, maybe we should not use the English translation of the name, the year of the dragon, but uh, change it to the year of the loon, because that's the animal we call. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, I asked uh, her, and uh, the question seemed to interest the audience, because, uh, you know, uh, something uh, a little different for, from a, a community <laughs> concern, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, it's interesting because um, the uh, translation of the symbolism around the mm -hmm. actual creature has changed, or could be looked at so significantly different uh, from here to um, the it, origins. Yeah, right? before people people did not pay attention to it, but now no. I guess um, it, it, times have become a little bit awkward, especially to the Chinese when, you know, China and the Western world at odd. And, just, um, you know, some people here, they kind of um, uh, mixed uh, up, uh, like, people with government. And uh, we feel like uh, this, there's a rising trend of uh, discrimination against right. the, the yep. culture and the people. So... Uh, even, you know, just yesterday, um, my friend, one of my friends, uh, she told me, like at the family day gathering, her friend uh, told her about uh, the friend's son and daughter's encounter. So just recently in Toronto, so they were walking on the street and were talking to each other in Mandarin, and the man uh, uh, behind them, like, uh, shouted at them and spat 
just because they 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 were Chinese. Um, you know, I, I my heart at literally at, uh, especially when thinking of these two, you know, youngsters. They, they they were of the same age of my boys, and and I could imagine how devastating and um, you know traumatizing uh, yes. would that be to to their young and innocent minds. And, and yep. I myself had a racist uh, attack in a subway station in December, mm-hmm. which we talked about last month, right? All this like so 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 people are worried. And they would think, hey, um, we wish every trivial detail of our culture would uh, bring no more harm to us, would, you know, uh, bring no more like uh, unnecessary or unfair uh, adversity to people's perception of us. So I think it's from a, um, like a vulnerable, vulnerable uh, status. Uh, so I can understand that, but uh, on the other hand, I, I myself cannot figure out which way uh, is better. Because um, I'm thinking, oh, why should we be so uh, sensitive or so fragile? Mm-hmm. Um, animal science and animal sign, and uh, it, mm-hmm. the connotation yep. is given by people. And yep. as long as people are kind to each other, inclusive, then there will be no problem. So, yeah, there's a lot of trying to hide culture, hide things we know others don't understand for acceptance. Right, right. Yeah, and then mm-hmm. there's a part of me that thinks of a lot of this as art, right? Like artistic expression mm-hmm. and the mm-hmm. way that we know we can connect with people uh, through the, the mm-hmm. art of our cultures. And that's a like we know Lunar New Year and Chinese New, mm-hmm. New Year to be mm-hmm. one of these celebrations and times of year where we could take part, where so many people who are not Chinese can, mm-hmm. um, you know, be involved and and learn as well as just celebrate and enjoy the and festivities. Exactly. So yeah. you wish that that could trump the kind of heinous experiences that a lot of people are experiencing uh-huh. these days and discrimination. And you worry how much, Young, are somebody hearing two people speaking Mandarin who's intolerant, who's rude, who's whatever, and how much that affects, just like your, your incident in the subway, you going forward, the trauma from that, the trauma, because then you start hiding things. And again, so many people aren't doing that kind of thing. Yeah. So many people have could, could say, I've never been attacked like that or yeah. whatever. And and that's beautiful. That's great. And I think sometimes we have to hang on and realize some things happen out of a lack of tolerance, out of a frustration, out of a fear, not necessarily anything to do with people wanting to hold on to a cultural thing, celebrate that because there are many of us that take an interest and want to, you know, be alongside that celebration. Mm. You know, whether you're, but but we also know at times of the year, not times of the year, excuse me, times in our history, things are going to happen that Unfortunately, the intolerance, the misunderstanding, the fear, the frustrations that make people not really act in the most pleasant way, they're going to come out. Very and it's, it's a sad part of society. Yes, that's, that's, that's why it's so important, like through these beautiful things, like art, music, or, or dialogues, um, uh, then people get to understand each other more. Uh, like uh, what uh, this uh, uh, Lunar New Year reading and tea, like afterwards we had a, a beautiful tea party also. So people get to know uh, each other more. 
mm-hmm. and yeah, and, and people from all walks of life come together, uh, spend a pleasant afternoon, and walk home with some lovely stories. So that's all very beautiful. Um, and uh, uh, and on the way to the museum, uh, I-, I took Will Trans uh, and. Uh, Another visionaries member, Jason, uh, and I happened to be in the same taxi. Uh, so, so he talked to me. Like he mentioned, he came to uh, East and West Learning Connections event uh, quite some times. Um, so I was very happy to hear that. Uh, and uh, he even went to a, uh, a one of our guest speakers' uh, event, a, a peace concert in January because I shared that information in our newsletter. And he brought another blind friend, Peter, to the concert, and they enjoyed it. And I got to talk to uh, the guest speaker, Sheila White. Mm. Um, I, I was so happy, you know, to see all kinds of uh, these connections happen. Um, and he, he introduced uh, Bob Marley to me and his music. And the driver join our conversation because the driver liked Bob uh, Marley as well. Uh, so I, I got to know he, he the driver uh, was from Ghana. I just said, oh, you're from Ghana. Uh, in March, at the end of March, so at East and West Learning Connections, we have invited two uh, guest speakers. They live in Ghana. So they'll come to our East and West Dialogue program and share their life stories, share their culture, uh, so I said, oh, can you uh, please teach me a few words in uh, Ghanaian, Ghanaian, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I learned this, uh, hello, my friend, and thank you. I, I practiced, and the driver was ha- <laughs> very happy. <laughs> he, oh, that's nice. Very, sweet. <laughs> very yeah. flattering. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, well, he he was very uh, serious and responsible. So yeah, and I I typed it. I typed out the the character, the letters, um, on my computer, and I recorded. I recorded Excellent. so I can I can review. Yeah, you're serious practice. about this too. Yeah, that's fantastic. Like you've highlighted yeah. so many great moments here of, of people just connecting with each other and being able to take parts of our, um, or give, I guess, invite people into parts of our own culture. And it's nice to have it all around the Lunar New Year celebration that you went to that inspired this conversation. So thank you, and we'll chat with thank you next you. month. Well, thank you. Yeah, yeah. Great, happy care. Family Day. Yeah, <laughs> happy Family Day. Still okay. living off that long weekend energy. We uh, are going to take a break. That was Young Wang with our monthly conversation. Long and weekend energy. Long week. Long week weekend. Long weekend. Long short week week into another weekend energy. And sick. Mm-hmm. We're going to take a break and come back to wrap up the show. I'm going to tell you about ah. some waterfalls that even if you never visit, they sound really cool as an exploration in Europe. Uh, we'll also tell you about Now with Dave Brown and what they've got lined up for the Wednesday morning edition. We'll be right back. We'll be back with more of Kelly and Ramya after this short break.
Welcome back. Just a few more minutes here on Kelly and Remy as we wrap up the show and get through some reminders and tell you what's up tomorrow all over the network. Uh, number one, make sure that you check us out on your favorite podcast platform. You can subscribe to the show there and get daily uploads of our podcast in full show and segment form. Very, very easy sharing with the segment stuff. And uh, keeping track of conversations that we have with our contributors, like how today we talked fragrances with Frances Wong, and she threw back to a conversation we had about air quality, so you can get back on that topic overall. Kelly, we also have Now with Dave Brown. That's our morning show. Now with Dave Brown, 9 a.m. Eastern Time on AMI-tv, live on weekdays. And on their Wednesday edition, they have... Downtown Brown is back in town. Volunteering in your community is a great way to stay connected to friends and family. Disability ab rights advocate Ann Kamosi will discuss some of the other benefits of volunteering. She'll also discuss the specific ways that people with disabilities can get involved in volunteering and other volunteering opportunities and activities. Freelance journalist John Lucky uh, will be talking about the background on the province of Saskatchewan dealing with overcrowding. This is a record in, in their hospitals, folks. And it's that time of the year for some of us who begin preparing for marathons and triathlons. Community reporter Elizabeth Muller is one of those people. She'll be talking about some of the advanced work involved in training as she starts preparing for her 10th season doing a triathlon. All that tomorrow, 9 a.m. in the morning. Now with Dave Brown, you can also find them available via podcast. Training and prepping for a triathlon? Like even if Starting it's a now. regular thing. Starting now, yeah. getting your head in the right space, your body in the right, My you know, goodness. condition. Starting Years. now after all that food. You know how long Years. January was. <laughs> now long February is, yeah. Oh, uh, no, it's a um, short month. She's really got to get on it. I all right, know. Her, her. I think I'll Ooh, only wow. be able to highlight one waterfall here. So listen, when I went to Jamaica, like way before pandemic times, I climbed the Duns River waterfall in Ocho Rios, and it was a super fun experience. So here are some waterfalls that I guess even if you never really go to or aren't interested in, they just make for cool journeys because you can walk through them, climb them, and probably get some cuts and scrapes and bruises on the way. But I got it from uh, an article titled The Top 10 Best Waterfalls of the World and How to Visit Them, worldofwaterfall.com. Sutherland Falls in um, uh, New Zealand is a gorgeous 580-meter waterfall, and they say, the couple who went to, to review these, they said it's one of New Zealand's most spectacular waterfalls, and given its remote location in the wild and beautiful Portland uh, Park National Karakanuska World Heritage Area. They said that it deserved that visit, and it was one of the highlights of the Milker Track, proclaimed as one of the finest walks in the world, and it sat in one of New Zealand's most scenic spots. Very nice. I'll probably tell you more on Thursday about other waterfalls, but there are some really interesting ways that you can uh, explore waterfalls, Kels, so... Mm -hmm. I'm always curious. Well, especially since it's so isolated and hopefully untouched <laughs> yeah, to some degree. That's fair. And probably uh, a lot of bruises on Not you. really true, but yeah. Maybe. We'll see. All right. <laughs> on tomorrow's show, we have Greg David joining us to talk TV. And we're talking about the, la uh, the pilot season on TV this year and what U.S. networks are doing instead because there's not many pilots going on. Okay, we have our independent living skills segment with Leanne Barta tomorrow. We'll continue our discussion on hosting parties. That's it. We'll be back tomorrow at 2 p.m. Eastern on AMI-tv.
one of the privileged things about sitting here doing this show is just how much you learn. And again, you can't keep track of it. There's times I've had to take my notes, my scripts, put notes somewhere else because I think, oh, I can use that. And I know you do the same thing as a, as a listener slash viewer, whatever you want to call yourself, depending on the medium you listen in or even podcast listener. But it's the privilege of what content people bring to you, the show. And, you know, kind of just say, hey, I'm going to do this or I'm going to do that. And this is what I would like to bring. And this is what I'm I think would be a really good topic. Then watching them mix it up is always wonderful. And you just holy cow, you're going to talk about that today. Wow. It's just some of the things that you may never even think about that these creative minds bring to the table. But it does put that dilemma on you. What do I want to keep? Does that seem like a topic I, I want to listen to? You as a, a listener I'm talking about now, um, I have to sit there and listen in and always find something interesting. When we were a reading service before the TV side came to be, uh, the National Broadcast Reading Service voice print back in the day, I remember people saying to me, don't you get bored recording all these people reading these articles and things like that? And I said, well, sure, there's some days it seems long, but to be honest with you, I always find something interesting. Because at that time, where else was I getting a chance to hear these full-length articles? I wasn't. Now we can go online and find a lot of stuff. And I mean, yeah, okay. When I started at the company, yes, it was, it was, I was doing some of that. But man, to be able to have access, to be able to have that human voice reading to me, I'd forget myself a lot of time. And still do on the show. I'll be sitting there, somebody's engaging me with a story, and I'm like, oh, wow. Oh, next question. I, I, I forget. This guy, dude. You're paid to do a job. So that becomes really fun. And to remind myself, okay, Michael Babcock was talking about this shortcut. Wow, this was really interesting what Francis brought to the table. I could utilize that or I know somebody that could. Just to take it and make those notes. Absolutely wonderful opportunity if you come across something and uh, having that resource. Because I know when we formed the show, we knew people sit in, listen to the things they're most interested in. But that stuff you could be most interested in just comes out of nowhere. Join me every couple weeks for the Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther podcast, where we learn about outdoor tech and tips. Plus, we look at news affecting the environment. AMI's Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther is available from your favorite podcast provider.